You're listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast, episode number 212. Welcome to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. Business advice so easy, you'll feel like you're cheating. And now your host, Amy Porterfield. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Porterfield, but I'm not alone today. I have my sidekick, Regis, with me. <laughs> well, his name is Regis Mulready, but you know I like to be Regis and Kathy Lee. I was hoping you would not intro this episode in that way. <laughs> I can't help myself. But alas, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I just love having you on the show. And today's episode is going to be so good. We are talking about you hitting a million dollar year with a considerably smaller list. But we've got so much to cover. For Before we get there, how the heck are you? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit nervous about this episode. Like you, you asked me, yeah, you asked me to do this. Like we get talking about this, what, probably four months ago. Right. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> we're not talking about this. Cause he like, really I don't did. Like, he said no. Yeah. So what made you think that maybe you will do it? Well, I just thought a lot about, I mean, number one, I don't like, I don't love talking about the revenue and stuff like that. Outwardly, it feels weird sometimes. It feels weird, you know, because like, oh, look at me. But like, I'm so not that way. The other thing was, I, well, I think that was the big thing is yeah. why I want to do it. And, and what sort of shifted for me is I really did honestly think about it a lot for the, for the last couple of months. And you and I get talking more about it. And I think one of the things that happened, it was such a small little thing. I was doing a, a one day workshop in London. So a Facebook ads workshop in London when my wife Amy and I were over in Europe in January. And one of the guys there at the workshop said to me, some just random comment, he said, I heard you talk about on your show, talk about how you sometimes record your intro and outro like seven, eight, nine times. <laughs> and I was like, and your point is, <laughs> and he's like, I felt so much better after hearing you say that. And I was like, really? Like, that's so normal. Like, and then I just got me thinking about this whole, like, you know, I talk about this, like the iceberg metaphor a lot, right? Like people only see what's above the water. Like they don't see what's going on below the water behind the scenes. Exactly. And it just, it just sort of that, that little comment that he made, like kind of struck me and I was like, I need to share more of this stuff. You know, I need to share more of the, the behind the scenes because it is, it's murky. It's not always smooth sailing. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous about the conversation here today. And the reason Rick says he's a little bit nervous is because we are going to talk about some shifts that he had to make in the way he approached his business, the way he looked at his business, the way he looked at himself. He had to get brutally honest about a few things. And so that's the surprising thing about business. I love to teach the tips and the strategies and all of that, but I also like to look at how are you thinking? How are you feeling? Why did you make those decisions? How did they work for you? If they didn't work, what do you need to shift? So we've got to talk about that because so much of being an entrepreneur is in your head. And if you don't recognize that and you only think about the tips and the strategies and the techniques, those techniques will only go so far before they completely crash and burn. You've got to get your head on straight around all of this stuff you're working on in your business. So we are going to dive into specific shifts that Rick made, but also because I like the techniques and the strategies, 
At the very end, I also asked Rick to share with me his email re-engagement campaign. So what do you do when people are not responding on your email list and they've been there for a while, they're not opening up your emails, they're not engaging, what do you do? He's got a full-on campaign around that. So we will get to the techniques, but before we get there, we've got to do the other work. And that's what this episode is really about. And that's what I'm nervous about Yes, (laughs) because we're going to talk about a lot of things that I literally never spoken about publicly. Like you and I have talked about this stuff in the past in our own private conversations, but I've never shared this publicly. Well, here you go. Shared some of the things not to to like, you know, it all out today. So get ready. Before we dive in, though, I do have a quick question for you. How the heck is the new sauna? Oh, you, you got a new sauna yes. and I, my buddy Pete in uh, Montana, DIY Pete, who I go visit when I go fly fishing up there has one of these. He's had one for years and I've used it before and it's amazing. And then you got one Yep. and, and because <laughs> you got one, James Wedmore got one. <laughs> so I got it. Like, how is it? I know it's in the, it's in your backyard there. Is it yes. amazing or what? And for the record, I got one because my friend Gabby Bernstein told me I right. had Gabby to get one. one. So yes. like everyone that kind of trickles down. So I absolutely love it. I will link to the company I used in the show notes since you asked. And it's something I do about three times a week, if not more. I sit in it for about 30 minutes and it's a dry sauna. So it's infrared. And it's room for just about me. I mean, Hobie and I could sit in there together, but I don't like to be touching somebody's skin when they're sweating, just sitting next to me. Like it'd be kind of a tight fit. He's got big shoulders. So I just go in it on my own. Plus Hobie doesn't even want to go into it, but it is so great to clear my head, just be completely quiet. And also it helps with inflammation. And I know with stress, I've got a lot of that. And so I was just going to ask you, what, what are the big benefits of it? To me, it's all about inflammation. And okay. also it is a great like anti-aging tool as well. And, you know, I'm in my 40s really? now. So, yes. So it helps with that. And not to get too vain or anything, but you should see how many people tell me my skin is looking great. And I really what? think it's partly due to the sauna. Do I need to get a sauna? You really do. It's kind of the best thing ever. I highly recommend it. So next time you come over, you got to come right. into my sauna. All right. All right. Cool. Okay. Cool. Yes. So I didn't even know you were going to ask that. That is so funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the sauna is doing great. Thanks for okay, asking. Good. Glad to know that. Yes. Yeah, so good. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I'm kind of going to set this up for you, Rick. And as always, we've prepared for this. We have our notes in front of us, but I want you to take me through this process of getting to $1 million in one year. So just to be really clear, 2017, you hit the million dollar mark in your business. You made Mm -hmm. $1 million in one year. So with that, how many people did you have on your email list to get there? We had 17,000 people on the email list. 17,000 people. Now, if somebody told me they had 17,000 people on their email list, like a student of mine, I'd say that number is amazing. That is fantastic. That is a big number. I wouldn't ever let you say that that was a small list. However, you're playing with the big boys. You see other people's lists, Rick. So I'm assuming you look at that list and compared to a lot of your peers, you think that list is small. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. and it is. I mean, to most people, and, and we're going to talk about this today, we like are. FOMO and don't get there. I'm not stuff. ready for it. Ooh, don't go there. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but yes, to answer your question, all of my friends have, you know, their email lists are huge. And so in comparison, it's minuscule, right? But 
I didn't really, I would look at the list size and be like, yeah, it's small, but holy cow, we did really, really well with a list size of 17,000. Exactly. So we're going to get into that list size and your thoughts around it and basically what it's all about. But before we get there, I also want you to break down how you got to a million dollars in terms of what did you sell? So let's get down mm. to the details. Give me a list of what you sold in 2017 to get to a cool. million bucks. Yeah, so we did, last year we launched our FB Ad Manager program, which is my Facebook ads program for people who want to be starting or have a Facebook ads management business. So that teaches the Facebook ads side, but also how to create a business. How much was that program? That is a 1997 program. 1997. Yep. So we launched that in March and we actually launched it twice. So we launched it for like brand new March of 2017. And then I forget later in the year, we did it again. Awesome. That I also had a six month group coaching program that I called the intensive. So that was a small group of people that we did group coaching for that lasted. That was uh, January to June. So that was another one. Okay. And how much was that? That was uh, 10,000. 10,000 per person. 10,000 per person. Six yep. months. And did they ever see you live or was it? Oh, yeah. 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 Two different, two different live events. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So what else? And then, and then I did uh, my FBA live events, which are my live uh, Facebook ads workshops here in San Diego. And I did two of those. So I do two of those May and December. And those are workshops like I've been there. People get into the nitty gritty of opening up their ads manager, doing the work, learning new stuff. How much was that? That was 2000. 2000. But at the the time we did some, you know, we we applied some stuff for students and stuff like that who are existing students and so forth. So some discounts and some opportunities to shave the price down for certain people. Yep, I get it. And then what else? We relaunched my two other programs. So my flagship program, the FB Advantage. And the FB Advantage Local. So we just relaunched those. I want to say it was FB Advantage was maybe twice. Local was once for sure. Okay. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, we relaunched those two programs. And FB Advantage is like your signature Facebook ads program. Yep. For online businesses. Online businesses. Cost? And then those are $9.97, both of those. Got it. And then the last thing, and this was a big thing in December, was I launched a brand new 12 month group coaching program, which is the Accelerator. Gotcha. And that was a big success at the end of the year. So that really helped get us to the million as well. And how much is the Accelerator? That is 15K for 12 months. Gotcha. Okay. So one thing that I love to do is look at what people are selling and how they're getting to the numbers they're getting to. And one thing that's very apparent with the way Rick does things is he's got some premium pricing in here. He's going for some big plays. And what's very interesting about Rick that I know personally, because we talk all the time, is he's not necessarily trying to go for getting 3,000 people into one program. Instead, he's got these six-month intensive. He has these Mm. smaller workshops, but the price points are higher. So he doesn't have to get two, three, 4,000 people into a program to make a million dollars in a year. So- I feel like it's more quality than quantity in terms of your business model. 
Yeah. And the reason I do this is because people want different things, right? Some people want courses. Some people want more of my individual help or my team's help. Some people want like, hey, let's go into a live workshop and and bang this stuff out and, and implement and get right in there. And then I'm done. Some people want longer term help. So that's what it's designed to do. It's basically wherever you are in your business and where you need help the most, that's where we have an offering for it. Gotcha. I like it. Okay. So we went through the fact that you hit a million dollars, you had 17,000 people on your list. We went through the different things that you did promote, but here's the real reason we're doing this podcast episode. As I mentioned, it's not about the promotions. It's not about the list size. Instead, it's about some core shifts that Rick, you made to get there. And that's what I want to dive into today, because those are the takeaways that I think my listeners can apply to their own business as well. And remember, at the end of this episode, we are going to share with you Rick's subscriber re-engagement campaign. If you've got people on your list that are not taking action, he's got a campaign that you can apply so that you can get those people to either re-engage or take them off your list. Were you going to say something, Rick? I was just going to make a dumb little comment here. I have like one of those like little stress ball things that I, when I do podcast episodes, I have it in my hand right now. You're killing me. (laughs) Okay. Then I'm going to go deep because if you're nervous, then I want to make sure we validate that nervousness and really get to the hardest stuff. It's the, it's when you're nervous that the, that's when the best stuff comes out, I think. For sure. And that's when you get the most feedback. You're like, Oh, I really appreciate that. Well, like, well, that was the most nervous to be talking about that. Exactly. It's like my episode about my weight. I'm like, I'd rather stick a pen in my eye and talk about that. But there you go. Here here it is. Okay. So I get it. So I'm going to go through the shifts. I'm going to name the shift because I know what it is. And then I want you to just tell us about it. So number one, you shifted how you were thinking about your own email list size. Mm -hmm. Okay. Talk to me about that one. Well, I mean, when I first started, so I, the business had been going for four, a little over four years now. And so when I, when we first started, like I was no different than anybody else. I was still getting the notifications when people subscribed. And that was like a dagger into my heart. Like what? No, like people are unsubscribing from my list. Like that killed me. We shifted that really quickly here. We like lose the notifications. Yes. Um, so as we were talking about before, as we started to think about or started to talk about, I should say, is we hear all the time people throw around list size and stuff like that. And you just never know. I mean, I'm not like questioning anybody, but you just never know like what the true what the truth about that is. So for me, and I know I think we're going to talk about this here today, is that my list size in the middle of 2017 was about 30,000 people. But I had no idea when I in this re-engagement campaign that we're going to talk about here, I had no idea that half of that list size, about 16,000 of those people were unsubscribes or bounces and all that stuff that were still on the list. And I didn't even know that. So we can talk more about that. But that's the first thing is to be, just be careful about when you start hearing people throw list size around. I'm not questioning their integrity or like that. It's just a matter of, you know what? That's amazing for them. Where are you at in your own business? And I had huge FOMO when I started hearing people talk about big list size and stuff like that. I was like, what am I doing wrong? I started comparing myself to other people. And like, I realized that that was not doing me any good. And the worrying and the anxiety that was causing and the comparing myself to others, that is not going to allow me to help other, you know, continue to grow this business. I needed to stop worrying about that list size and just be like, all right, you know what, this is what I'm doing in the business. This is how I'm helping people. 
and you know I need to stay in my lane here. I need to do my own thing. And I and I know the whole stop worrying and stay in your lane and you know drop the FOMO. That's very easy to say, but harder to do. I get it. But that was really the big shift for me that happened was once I got things into perspective, it really helped me. It kind of took the pressure off, you know, like remembering too, like I think we can get so caught up in our business and where we are right now when something that I've had to work really hard at is remember where I've come, like how far I've come. So as I mentioned before, the business didn't exist before January 2014. So four years ago. I didn't have a business. Four years ago, you did not have an online business. Yes. You just hit a million dollars in one year. I want you all to hear that because four years flies by faster than you will ever imagine. This stuff is doable. Okay. Yeah. It's it's like, again, this is all perspective. So when you stop and think about it like that, like, holy cow, like that is amazing. Like it just being in that moment of accomplishment and recognizing how far one has come, you know, and that's what I did. The other thing I love to do is, so the gym I work out at downtown San Diego looks into Petco Park, like into where the Padres play. That's kind of fancy, Rick. It is very, it is kind of fancy, (laughs) except during baseball season, it's a total pain in the butt to go to the gym because it's crowded and everything. But I often think about this. This is how my nerdy brain works. I often think about like, all right, how many people does does Petco Park hold? And I actually looked this up. It's 42,445 people. So to put that in perspective, how many people are either on your email list or you're reaching with your podcast or you're reaching with your videos that you're doing, whatever it is. Think about like you're standing in like, I think I'm a hockey guy, right? So I think about like, and I'm a Washington Capitals diehard fan. So if I'm standing center ice in the Capitals arena, that holds about 17 to 18,000 people. Think about like, if that is your audience that you're speaking to, you're speaking to an entire arena. And I think that's such a unique and cool perspective to think about that. It really is. I mean, taking this at a much smaller scale, sometimes my students will say, I have 500 people on my list, Amy. Like, what am I going to do with that? And I said, well, what if tonight you had to invite all 500 people over for dinner? Would that feel like a lot of people then? (laughs) Yeah. And it's just a different perspective. So really the takeaway here is all about perspective and you really need to Think about the fact that every single person on your list is a person that actually has raised their hand and said, I want to hear more about what you have to offer. So we need to treat each person as though they really matter. And as Rick said, we've got to stay in our own lane. Who cares what somebody else's list size looks like? All we really care is about our own. And I think that's what's most important. Just thinking about when we have a smaller list, it's so much easier, as you said, Amy, like we can have more personal relationships with, with people. Meaning like if you ask for feedback from somebody, if from, from you send out an email list or send out an email to your list and it's got some content and you're asking for, hey, like, you know, hit reply with whatever, asking for a question or response or something like that. If you have a smaller email, email list size, you're able to respond to those people a lot more easily if you have a list of 50,000 or 100,000 people or whatever. It's that you have that, as you mentioned, you have that greater ability to have that more personalized relationship with people and respond. And, and it's much more, I don't want to use the, I guess, terrible word used, but manageable. You know, Very you can have that so. greater relationship with them. So true. Okay. So the first shift, you shifted how you were thinking about your own list and you yep. let go of any 
feelings or thoughts you had about other people's list size. So the second shift is that you shifted your feeling around your $1 million yearly goal. So I asked Rick, I said, did you have a goal of hitting $1 million in 2017? And he said, oh, I did. And I said, okay, so then what do you mean that you shifted your feeling around it? So talk to me about that. Yeah. So that actually was our goal. And the goal was to hit seven figures in 2017. And people ask me, like, and you and I've talked about this, like, well, why? Like, why was that important? And for me, honestly, it was kind of what we're just talking about. Like so many people talk about, throw it around, like, well, we have a seven figure business. And I feel like that would have allowed me to say I made it. Yeah. And whether right or wrong, like that's what, that's how I was thinking about it. So that was sort of my mindset around it because it was like this holy grail, quote unquote, if you will, of the number that I felt like I needed to reach in order to sort of legitimize, is that a word? Legitimize? Yeah. (laughs) Legitimize what I was doing. And as the year was going on about, we got about six months in the middle of last year and I was not on pace at all to do that. And I was working really hard. I was, I mean, I was killing myself working really hard. Like I have been for the past several years. And I just started to think about it. It's like, what, at what expense am I doing this? Like, what does this whole million dollar thing really mean to me? Is it because at that point I hadn't really realized what, what I just mentioned is like, why am I really doing this? What's really the reason why do I have to have this number in order to quote unquote legitimize my business? Heck no, I don't. I realized that it just wasn't important to me anymore. And I realized that, you know what? My goal is still a million dollars, but if I don't hit it, it's okay. I also realized, and this is, I think, something that you and I have talked about a lot, as I mentioned before, this is something I never talked about actually publicly, is the business wasn't fun anymore. And about two and a half years ago, I remember distinctly, I hit rock bottom. And I remember, I remember distinctly because I, we were, my yeah. wife, Amy and I, I don't know why I always say my wife, Amy, I think this is distinguished because <laughs> yeah, that I'm always make, talking about you. Right. So Amy and, and I were, what if you said like, so Amy and I were in bed and we were talking. Yeah. yeah let's just say your wife. I like it. <laughs> my wife, Amy, we were living in our other, our original apartment here in San Diego, the first place we moved that we moved down from LA. And it was a super small place. It was a one bedroom place. So both of our office, like our, both of our desks were in like the living room area. I remember, yeah. It was a debacle. Like we had, it was <laughs> awful because I'm doing interviews. I'm, you know, and she's doing stuff and cause she has an online business as well. And so it was awful. Like it's from a, just, too, it was too close for comfort. And I remember one of the things that I used to do a lot was I'd work well into the evening. And it wasn't because... I was doing stuff that I felt like I was moving the business forward when it really truly wasn't. And I've been doing it for so long and I just, it it was causing friction in with Amy and I just hit rock bottom. I was super, super depressed. I mean, to be honest, I was in a very dark place. I was miserable. We're talking about skin earlier. I have eczema. I've had eczema my entire life. And so stress and everything makes it worse. And it was that my, you know, like my skin, like my, my whole, my health started to deteriorate because of it. Mm-hmm. And I was just super stressed out, very depressed. I'm like, what am I, do-? I just started questioning everything. Like, what am I doing? And so 
kind of fast forward back to last year in the middle of the year when I wasn't having the fun in the business, I was chasing this goal of a million dollars. And so I started to, and I wasn't on pace and I'm like, what am I doing? This like, something's not working. And the whole shift for me happened there. Cause we're talking a lot of it. We're talking about shifting the whole shift for me happened. Like, look, I realized I kind of took a step back and I put things in perspective of what I just mentioned was, why am I truly going after this million dollars? Like, what does it really mean to me? And when I realized that it was just a number that I'd put out there because of what I heard in our space, that numbers get thrown around so much. When I stepped back from that and said, you know what? The goal is still there. I'm not going to, like, I am never going back to that two and a half year ago feeling. I was, I hit rock bottom. You're and so- miserable. You were miserable. I, I was. And, and you and I talked about that a lot from when I shared that with you. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was like decided that like, that's the alternative and that's not the alternative for me. I'm not going back there. And so I'm going to have fun with this and I'm going to do this from a sense of service and a sense of giving. And, you know, the numbers are going to take care of itself, if you will. And so that's what became most important is how am I genuinely adding value to my audience? And that sort of started to shift. And, and it didn't like, it wasn't like overnight. It shifted in the last six months of the year and it took the pressure off, you know? Yes. And like I, you and I have talked about this a lot for where these types of things and we sort of let go of these things. It, it, it took the pressure off. I felt like it allowed me to, it allowed my personality to kind of shine through more in my business, which people were starting to comment on. Like they were giving me positive feedback and stuff like that, which, which was awesome. And I, whenever possible, I was stepping in to help on a personal level for other people, like the messenger strategy that I know that you talked about on your, was it 200th episode? Yep. So, I mean, just a quick recap on my podcast, I would add, ask people to message me with their feedback about the podcast, like what they wanted to hear, episodes, guests, all that type of stuff. And I would actually go in there and I'd be talking to people and people were like, no, this isn't you, Rick. Like, no, this is really me. And so it was just more of that personalized adding value to people. And it just took the pressure off, you know? And so the big takeaway for it, am I stealing your thunder here with the takeaway? No, go for was it. That, was that it's just, you can't make it about the money. And I know it's so easy to say that when, you know, the business is doing well, but you really can't. Like when you shift that focus to how am I going to serve and help people, the money's going to take care of itself. And that's sort of the transition that I went through at the second half of 2017, where I was like, you know what? I'm not having fun anymore. I'm not happy with where things are at. I remember where I was two and a half years ago. I'm not going back there. So something's got to shift. And that was what I went through the last six months. I love it. Real quick, that messenger strategy you did, anybody can do. I loved that yeah. strategy. Episode 200. So amyporterfield.com forward slash 200. Rick gets into all the details about that, as well as a bunch of experts talk about their own secret strategies they use. So definitely check that out. One thing I want to add to this before I move on to the next shift is that one of the telltale signs that you are making it about something that's not serving you is when you feel like you are white knuckling it. Another way to look at it is like you're hustling yourself to the bone kind mm. of thing. But when you're white knuckling and you've got to meet this number, you've got to meet this number. How else are we going to sell? What are we going to do? White knuckle, white knuckle, white knuckle. You know what that feels like. That is when you have to literally let go and say, I'm going to do something different that serves me and my audience. And 
what I'm wanting to happen, that's going to happen naturally because of it. Like you just have to tell yourself that. Yeah. And those ideas of like, you know what, something's not working here. I should probably change things up. I should try something else. When yes. you're white knuckling it, as you say, those ideas do not come to you as easily no, or freely flows. as when you like take a step back and say, you know what, I'm going to let go. And then that's when the ideas come to you. So true. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the next shift, these next two shifts are about building your team. And many of you ask me about building the team and how do you know you're ready and who do you hire first? And all that stuff comes from team. And I did an episode all about building my team a few episodes back, but these distinctions that Rick's going to share here are so prevalent with so many of us online entrepreneurs. So listen closely here. This first shift, and I literally watched Rick shift over the year with these two things. Like I saw it physically in conversations that we had and questions he asked and things he grappled with. So he did the work and you've got to do the work with these two things. So number one, Rick, you shifted your mindset from lack to abundance mm -hmm. as it relates to team. So yep. talk to me about what that looked like throughout the year. Yeah. I mean, kind of going back to what I was just talking about as far as I went into the year thinking like, all right, if I'm going to hit a million dollars this year, I need help. I can't do this all myself. And I was already working more than what I felt like I really, truly wanted to. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what I do. Like, I love it. And so it's not like, oh, I have to go do this or anything like that. But at the same time, again, this is another one of those things where I had people helping me on my team. I had a day-to-day -day assistant and then I had sort of contractors helping out from like on a project basis, launches and stuff like that. And that was there. But I knew that if I really wanted to take things to the next level, I would need to start to let go. And I would do that by not only what we just talked about, like letting go from a mindset perspective, but also letting go control and bringing more people onto the team. The hard part for me was that I was like, how am I going to afford this? And even though the business is doing very well, my mindset immediately went to, how are you going to afford this? This is like a you don't have the money for this. I come from a very middle-class background in New Hampshire and from very much a lack mindset. That has been the biggest thing that I've had to work on over the past several years, shifting from that lack to abundance mindset. So with that, I knew that if I invested in bringing people onto my team, that was going to help us grow bigger, help us serve more people. And then that would take the pressure off of me from having to do everything in the business. And so what I realized was like, you know what, in order for me to make this work, in, in order for us to do those types of things, I had to shift from that lack to abundance mindset where, you know what, if I bring more people on, we get to do all these different things. We get to serve more people. I don't have to take all the pressure. And I get to help them because I'm supporting them as well. That was a huge shift for me. Huge. And as an online entrepreneur, let's not pretend that it is easy to say, I'm going to bring you on and I'm going to pay your salary, whether it be project fee, retainer, hourly rate, whatever it is, paying somebody out of an online business that you don't necessarily always have consistent revenue coming in. 
That is a freaking scary thing. I totally get it. And I talked about that a lot in episode 208, all about growing my team and my big fear that I am paying for somebody's livelihood. And that is really where Rick got to. And the next one, he's going to talk about what his team looks like today. But he literally is paying for someone to live like that is their main revenue stream. And that scares many of us. Rick, would you agree? Like that is a scary thing. Absolutely. And I struggled with that. The whole building the team has been a a massive evolution for me from a mindset perspective over the past four years. It was not something that came easy to me. Like this is something that I probably sought the most help on in the business in addition to to mindset is how to grow the team, how to be a good leader and all and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And a big part of that, because I am a control freak, is you gotta let go of that control in order to have a bigger impact on what whatever you're trying to do. So true. And so hold on. That's gonna be our next shift. So one quick second. I'm jumping back and saying that you learned to move from lack to abundance. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the big takeaway is getting honest with yourself. Are you not growing your team because you are scared to spend money? And if you're making money and you're scared to spend the money to bring somebody on your team, that is not a good enough reason not to move forward. So that's where I want to get like brutally honest and you to get honest with yourself and ask yourself, are you living in that lack versus abundance? And it's something that literally Rick worked out over months. He didn't just wake up one morning and he say, I'm ready. Like he had to work on this and talk to his friends about it, talk about it in our mastermind together. So definitely start that conversation with those that you trust because you're holding yourself back. Now, moving into the final shift, this one is where Rick was going with that because it's so important. It kind of leads right into it. And that was Rick had to shift his mindset around control. And so talk to me about that. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a control freak. I want things going out the way that I want them to. Amen, brother. (laughs) Me too. And I have been challenged with perfectionism. I want things to be perfect. The evolution there was I had to let that go. I had to shift that mindset of, you know what? Perfectionism is only going to hold me back if I want to have the impact that I want to have and I want to help the number of people that I want to do. I am not going to be able to control everything. I've got to trust in my team and also trust in how you're hiring people that when you bring somebody on, like you've hired them for a reason, let them do their job. They're part of your team. And so after I got past that hurdle of investing in growing the team, I then had to learn to trust them and allow them to do their job. Basically, you don't want to be the bottleneck in your business. And for a long time, I was. I was that person oh, that was, was holding us holding us back. And we talk about that a lot as well, right? Yeah, so true. Um, so I have, a, I have a small team. Like this is when, you know, it's sort of like when people hear about the email list size, but then they also hear how big or small the team is. Yes. And I have a very small team. And what you like to say is you have a small but mighty team. Yes. So I have an, I have an executive assistant. Everybody's local, by the way. And that was a shift that I decided to do, take a page out of our friend James Wedmore's playbook here is to hire locally. And so everybody on my team on a day-to-day basis is here in San Diego. So I have a, I have a day-to-day executive assistant. He handles, you know, sort of the day-to-day stuff as far as calendaring and email and customer service and, and that sort of thing. I brought on a project operations manager. I call her my integrator. She's like project manager. Now she started in October 
And you and I talked about, have you ever talked about on the podcast here, Rocket Fuel, the book Rocket Fuel? I think a little bit, but mention that too. That's a good one. So the whole concept of Rocket Fuel, it's the, it's the follow-up to the amazing book Traction by Gino Wickman. And Rocket Fuel just talks about the two different roles in a business, the visionary and the integrator. The visionary is pretty much just what it sounds like. It's the person who, it's the CEO who has the ideas, you're coming up with the vision of the company, and the integrator is the one who's making sure that those things happen. They're integrating those things into the business and, and running the basically running the day-to-day of the business and the team so that the visionary can do their job. Yes. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So for you guys that know my team well, it would be Chloe as the integrator and then me as the visionary. And I did mention Rocket Fuel because I told all of you guys in a past episode that I took the test inside Rocket Fuel and pretty much failed as the visionary of the business. (laughs) That's right. You did talk about that. So that's when I knew I needed to step up. So this year has been all about me creating the vision for everything that we do. So yeah, I love that book. Cool. So I brought Skylar, who is my integrator, onto the team in October. And that was another huge mindset shift for me because I was bringing her on to be that integrator, to be that project manager, and to run all of the day-to-day stuff in the business and making sure that everything's been, everything's getting done and all that stuff. So that was another sort of forced exercise for myself in letting go of control because bringing somebody in to do this I got to let them do their job. And she's been amazing, amazing. And then I just hired, literally when we're recording this, uh, a week and a half ago, a marketing assistant. So she too here is local and she's working alongside Skylar, the integrator. And she's also going to be taking on our social media. Nobody is full-time. So these are contractors working in the business. That is it. That's my day-to-day team. So three people. And then I have, you know, I have contractors all over the world for like, you know, like copywriting and podcast editing and those sorts of things. But my day-to-day team is very small. Okay. So let me break this down a little bit. So as you heard, Skylar came on in October of 2017. So she wasn't there from January to October while Rick was you know, making the money that he wanted to make to hit that million dollar mark. So really it was Rick and then it was his executive assistant, Justin, and then it was contractors. And so why I want to mention that is he didn't even have really a solid team in order to hit that million dollar mark. However, would you admit, Rick, and this is where we got to get really honest, that It was hard. You had a lot on your shoulders. And that is why you said, oh my gosh, we need to get these people in place. Like what I'm trying to get is you wouldn't necessarily suggest not having a team. Oh no, not at all. You got to have a team. You got to have a team to do this. And even if it's starting out with just, you know, what I always like your coaching program, one of the exercises that we do is like, look, track for about seven days, everything you're doing in your business. And then we start to categorize them in sort of hourly rates. And so even if it's like, just start with that, identify what you're doing in your business. But even if it's just starting out, like hiring somebody, if it's a VA, if it's a local person, maybe it's a local mom or something like that, you've got to get help. And it doesn't have to be expensive either. It can be very affordable. And what you're going to get back and what you're going to, again, this is coming from that, going from that lack to abundance mindset, 
yes, you are paying money out. And my suggestion there is do it before you think you need it because it just shifts everything you do and how you're able to run the business when you have that extra help so that you can be focusing on. Because like the whole goal for me personally, Amy, is that, and I know that you and I talk about this a lot, and I know this is for you, is so that we can be focusing on what our strengths are and what lights us up the most and that everything else is getting taken care of. Right, right. Yeah. So important. So the takeaway here, because the final shift was that Rick shifted his mindset around control on his team. The takeaway is, yes, you can do this, all the stuff we talked about without a team. However, it's tough. You will burn out and you're creating a business that you do not love because there's no way doing it all by yourself is going to bring you massive joy. And it's really hard to scale that kind of work when you're doing it all by yourself. So before we get into the list cleaning process that Rick's going to take us through, I want to basically go over these shifts one more time. So shift number one was that Rick learned how to think about his own list size differently and put things into perspective and realize that it really doesn't matter the size of somebody else's list. Number two, he made a shift around how he felt about his $1 million goal. He still kept it as his goal, but then he said, look, if I don't get there, what's more important than that? I want to serve these people. I want to add value. I'm never going back to that dark place that I was at two and a half years ago. So if that means I don't reach the goal, but I'm still happy and I'm serving, then so be it. Funny thing is the money falls into place when you stop white knuckling. And that's Mm. exactly what he did. The third shift was that Rick shifted his mindset from lack to abundance. And many of us, I'm totally with Rick in terms of growing up in a blue collar home and lack was very prevalent in terms of got to hold on to it tight. And so we have to shed some of those experiences we've had in our past to look at the abundance that is all around us. There's enough for everybody. And I love that Rick said that when we were taking these notes, there's enough to go around for everybody. And then finally, Rick shifted his mindset around control. And now that he said, okay, I'm going to pay for this team. Now I've got to let them do the work that they were meant to do. And I need to step back and let it go. So those were the main shifts that Rick made in order to get to a $1 million year. And I'm pretty sure you'd agree with me, Rick, if I said, if you showed up with the things that you sold, your promotions and your list size, that that was not enough to get you to a million dollars, that these shifts had to happen. Would you give me a big amen 100%. on that one? 100%. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, for so sure. That I think is most important for you all to hear. The shifts needed to happen as well. Okay, so now because Rick and I like to keep our promises, we are going to walk you through a quick re-engagement campaign. And this is all Rick. I have never done this before. I do plan to do it soon. And so I'll report back when I do it. But Rick, walk me through what it looked like, what you were putting in these emails and just the whole process around tagging and segmenting. And let's just be really clear. The goal of this list cleaning process, also called a re-engagement campaign, is that you want to look at your list and figure out how many people on that list want to stay there if they haven't been engaging with you recently. And if they don't want to stay there, we want to get them off our list. If they do want to stay there, we want to learn more about them so that we can give them more of what they need. So walk me through it. 
Yeah. I want to caveat this is don't do this exercise if you're still hung up on the list size. Yeah, that's a good Because point. it's, it's going to, to shrink. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And this was hard for me, even though I had already started to make that shift about the list size, I was okay with it. This was a big blow to me because I, I figured out holy cow, I went from a list size, as I mentioned before, of like of 30,000 people on the list. I was like, all right, cool. There's 30,000 people on there. But I also kept hearing from people, this is another one, like every, you know, we're always talking about stuff in our space here, is everyone started talking about cleaning the list and making sure that you've got the most uh, engaged people on the list and ensure that you're cleaning a list out on a regular basis. Well, I hadn't cleaned it out in like two years. And so this was not a focus for me. And then I was like, you know what? It's time to do this. So let's figure out how best to, to do this. And we're going to go through the process here in just a second, but I'll, I'll tell you the results of what happened here. So again, the list size was about 30,000 people. And when we did the re-engagement campaign, cleaned it up, the list size dropped down to about 17,000 people. We lost, I think at that time, we lost about I mean, I know it's not adding up because we, we added some people, but we lost about 16,000 people. We dropped about 16,000 people off of the list. Wow. I saw that. Number one, I was like, wait a minute. We did something wrong. <laughs> like something is not adding up. <laughs> Those here. numbers are not right. <laughs> yeah. We, let's go back and check this team. Come on. <laughs> and so that was my control, you know, kicking back in like, wait a minute here. And then once we looked at it, we realized that, yeah, that was that was a combination of People who had unsubscribed from the list previously, email bounces. So, you know, when you send an email and it bounces back, it's a dead email address or a dummy email address. So there, there were bounces on there. But then there were also the group of people, and I don't remember exactly how many this was, but there was also the group of people of who weren't engaging. And so we took a number of people who had not engaged with any of our emails, meaning like it opened up or anything in the past 90 days. And so it dropped like that whole number. Once we got the unsubscribes, the bounces and the people who weren't engaged, that was 16,000 people. And I was like, holy cow, what is going on here? Why is it so, why is this number that I'm looking at? We use Infusionsoft. Why is this number including unsubscribes and bounces? Cause that's not like in my mind the, that, that shouldn't be reflecting of reflective of that number. Right. Would you, would you agree with that? I would hundred percent. I had no, I had no idea. And so I get on and I started asking people and they're like, I would in their like freak out mode, like what is going on here? And I learned that email CRMs like, well, not all of them, I should say, not all of them. I don't want to start listing them out, but not all the CRMs treat unsubscribes in this way, but Infusionsoft does. And I later learned the reason for it is because they're customers. So if they're tied to customer information, that's why they're still on your list. And it's showing up even though they might be an unsubscribe, but maybe they're a customer for, I don't know why that would happen, but that is the reason why they keep it on the list. And, but you're still paying for that number. You're still paying for, you know, you pay for the different levels of your email serum. Yes. So anyway, so we cleaned it down to about, uh, at that point it was about 16,000 and then it raised up a little bit over to about 17,000. And so this is what that re-engagement campaign looked like. And the first thing we did, as I mentioned, we look, we segmented the people on my list that had not opened any of our emails in the last 90 days. So we came up with that group of people. We also identified who those unsubscribes were and who the bounce, what the bounce emails were. So once we did that, we looked at, okay, who are the people who have not opened any of our emails in the last 90 days? And then we said, all right, over the next, I think it was two weeks, we sent out four emails. 
So we did the first one at eight o'clock on a weekday. I don't remember. What, it doesn't really matter which weekday necessarily. And uh, well, it, I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far, but as far as like, oh, Friday versus Saturday, but it was a weekday. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. The next email went out like two days later. We tested like 11 a.m. in the morning. The third one went out two days later after that. And we sent that out in the evening time to test that time. And then the fourth email went out two days later. So what's that? Yeah, about two weeks, week and a half. And then that last email went out at eight o'clock in the morning. What we did there was if the person re-engaged, meaning like they opened up the email, then we wanted to segment them. So the, the goal of this whole campaign was we want to get people to re-engage. We also wanted to add value to people. And the third one was we want to segment people, meaning if they're re-engaging, we want to segment them based on, do they want to start a Facebook ads business or are they managing Facebook ads already? Do they have an online business running Facebook ads? Are they a local business? So in these re-engagement campaigns, they all included links in the email to segment them. Meaning we said, I forget what the exact wording was. We said, please click the link below that best describes you and your business. And there were like three different links. Depending on which link they clicked, we were able to tag them with Infusionsoft. And then after that, I said, depending on whichever link that you choose or depending on which option that you choose, we followed up immediately with a value-based email that pertained specifically to them. And so based on what they clicked, we tagged them, meaning segmented them, and then we followed up with some email, a value-based email for them. And that also removed them from the re-engagement campaign because they were engaging. If they made it through all emails over the two weeks and they didn't engage, we removed them from our system after checking to make sure they weren't a customer, which is something that you and I talked yes. about. Yes, so good. So that was that's sort of the process. Now, there's different strategies out there about what you can do with those people now that you've got a list because you're basically, after these people go through, remember, we're tagging them as they engage. So we're removing them from that re-engagement campaign. So let's just say you're starting off with a list of, say, 5,000 people. And that's what the people who are running through your re-engagement campaign. Well, at the end... I don't know, let's just say a thousand people have engaged again. So now you have 4,000 people and those people are not engaging. Like they haven't engaged with you for 90 days and they didn't engage with any of your, your this follow-up campaign here. Now you have a couple different options there. People talk about, do we just drop them after we check, of course, to make sure they're not a customer? Do we just drop them from our email CRM? One thing that you can do with those people who didn't engage. Now remember, we cannot do this from anybody who has unsubscribed. All right. Now let me just explain this real quick. Is the people who didn't engage, we can take that list because we have that segmented list of say 4,000 people, upload that into Facebook. And as a custom, as an email custom audience, we can retarget them to try to re-engage them to get them back on our list. Even though they're on our list, but they're not engaging. We're, we're using Facebook ads to try to get them to engage again. Does that make sense? It does. I love this idea of using Facebook ads because I was telling Rick when we were putting this together, like, what about the fact that these people just aren't opening up emails and now we're just putting more emails in front of them? And tell me if you said this and I totally missed it, but I think 
before even Facebook ads, that subject line is so incredibly important for your re-engagement. And I once saw somebody say, and I don't know what the subject lines you use direct, but I remember somebody saying something like in their subject line, I'm going to take you off of my email list. And that's all the subject line said. (laughs) Yeah. And so then you're like, whoa, wait a second. If you genuinely care, you're going to open up that email and say, please don't do that. But if you don't care, you won't open up the email. So I'm saying really bold subject lines are necessary or it's just going to be another unopened. So that's one thing. But also, I love that you brought up Facebook ads because we've got to meet them in a different way just to make sure we can get them re-excited about the content they've been missing out. We want to get them re-engaged. So I love that you're thinking about doing both. Yeah, exactly. And and just kind of set a time for yourself. You're like, all right, you know what? For the next two weeks, I'm going to spend a few dollars to reach this audience here to see if I can re-engage them. If they're not okay, cool. Like that, there's the whole ego thing where when when I had like, holy cow, 16,000 people, my list was not 30,000. Uh, that was a big, like that was a big hit to the ego. Now, if somebody doesn't want to be on my email list, they unsubscribe, please get off the email list because I want to serve people and help people who want my help. And that's really how I think about that. One thing I want to, I want to kind of touch back on real quick about the Facebook ads. Be careful about doing that strategy that we just talked about with your unsubscribed people. So people who are unsubscribed on your email list, you cannot upload those people into Facebook to retarget them to try to get them to subscribe again. That is against Facebook's custom audience policies. If somebody has opted out of your email list, you cannot be uploading that list into Facebook to serve them ads. It's against policy. I love that you brought that up. So that's very important to remember. Yep. Okay, Regis, I think we did a good job here. I think we went through all of the emotions and thoughts and feelings around what the year looked like and how you got to a million dollars. I really appreciate you sharing some of those stories that you've never shared before. And I hope it actually feels good to you because I know it's going to be valuable to our listeners. It does feel good. And I just want to acknowledge you and thank you very much because you know you know how nervous I was about, about doing this. And I'm obviously, you know that if I didn't want to do it, I wasn't comfortable, I wouldn't have done it. Right. But I felt like if I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about this with you in this sort of setting to have a conversation. And I really appreciate you and how you handled this and, and kind of gui- going through the conversation with me. And as you know, this was a harder one for me, but I really appreciate how you how you handled it with me. So I thank you for that. So honored to do so. I'm so glad we shared your story. I think it needed to be shared for sure. So here's to many, many more successes. And before I let you go, what are you working on these days? Yeah. So we just, at the time recording this, we just released our, the ROI club, which is a brand new membership program that I'm really excited about. You and I've been talking about this for a while. That's what I was going to say. We've been talking about you launching this for a while now. You must feel so good that it's out in the world. So you've got to tell us what it's about. I thought it was a brilliant idea. So I'm so excited you're doing it. Yeah. This came about for, it's been brewing now for like a year. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I've I've had uh, people in the mastermind saying, Rick, you've got to have something like this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And finally, I'm like, you know what? It's time to, time to release this into the wild, if you will. <laughs> and so the ROI Club was born in March of 2018 here. And basically what it is, it's two deliverables. Number one 
is we all know how quickly Facebook changes, right? Facebook is making changes like what seems like every week. And you go in there and it's like, holy cow, what is this thing? And how do I use this? Or how do I use this update to make sure that I'm getting you know good results with my ads? And so one of the deliverables for the ROI Club is what I call the State of the Union. So each month I come on and I do a live State of the Union on the very latest Facebook ad updates. What's going on? What are the new updates? What are the new features, new policies, anything like that that people need to know? in order to ensure they're getting the best results possible from their ads. And then the second deliverable is a funnel blueprint. So I put together a Facebook ads funnel blueprint every single month where I share a funnel, I break it down, and you well first of all there's you know there's three different elements or a few different elements of the funnel that I put together. I give you the funnel and then I break the funnel down from like step by step all the way through the funnel. And then I also do a video walkthrough of the funnel that accompanies it. And so it's plug and play. Basically, what my intention for this is to someone to get this funnel blueprint, to be able to implement it in their business in a matter of hours if they want to, and then they're off and running. So I'm really, really excited about this new membership program. And you do this every single month, right? Every month. Yep. So the first of every month is the funnel blueprint. And then the 15th of the month is the state of the union. Ah, so good. Who do you think is a good fit for the ROI club? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm thank you for bringing that up. I'm getting a lot of questions around like, am I going to learn Facebook ads in this membership or anything like that? No, you're not going to be learning Facebook ads for the very first time. I'm not going to be taking you through like step by step how to set up campaigns and stuff like that. So this is more so for people who are already doing Facebook ads or at least dabbling in Facebook ads and looking to take their Facebook ads game to the next level. This is not going to be for somebody brand new who has never done ads before and really has no intention of doing them. However, if you are just starting out and this is something that you're going to be committing to, meaning like, all right, you know what? Facebook ads are going to be part of my business. Then this is a program for you. Perfect. So thank you so very much, Rick. That's awesome. And congrats on launching the ROI Club. If you're interested in the ROI Club, you can go to amyporterfield.com forward slash ROI Club. Simple as that. amyporterfield.com forward slash ROI Club and get all the details. All right, Rick, take care and thanks again. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Rick as much as I have. I really like that we started out this interview talking about what Rick sold in his business. I'm always curious to know how are people making money? What exactly are they selling throughout the year to reach those big goals like Rick did in his business? So hopefully you found that interesting as well. And then of course, we've got to get into the mindset stuff because being an entrepreneur is so much about the mindset more so than it is the mechanics, the strategies, the campaigns, the promotions, the funnels, all that good stuff. So I like a mix of both. And I feel like this interview had both. So I hope you found that valuable. Okay. I cannot wait to talk to you again next week. I have something extra special planned. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but make sure you show up for next week's episode. I think you are going to love it. All right. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast at www.amyporterfield.com. 